This morning I want to start, before we get into parables, talking about movies. I love movies. I originally went to do my undergrad program in uh, video production and mass media communications because I wanted to make films. And then I, God's like, you're going to be a pastor. So that, that was, I at least learned some cool stuff. If you've ever walked away from a movie and you're like, I think I understand what that movie was about. <laughs> I googled what are the most confusing movies ever and I found 15 different ones. I'm only going to share four of them with you. Confusing movies. Movies that people watched and walked away going, what the heck did I just watch? I don't know what that was. The first one is this movie Memento. That's one of them. That it's, it's actually one that I really enjoy. But people walked away from this movie going, I have no idea what happens, because none of it happens in chronological order. It bounces back and forth between time, and, 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 and you don't realize till later that it's only when it's in black and white is it going in the proper order. It's mind-boggling, right? The same thing with this movie, Tenet. It's, it's, it's a crazy movie, as if... Time travel wasn't a confusing enough you know, plot device. They have this thing called inversion, which is basically a more convert, confusing version of time travel. And everybody who I know who's watched that movie is like, I have no idea. I Googled it. I'm still not sure what I watched. <laughs> and then you've got this, this movie Inception, where it's almost impossible to tell what's reality and what's a dream. And all three of those movies are made by the same guy, Christopher Nolan. That guy's he's a problem. We've got to deal with him. <laughs> Or you can do what Stanley Kubrick did in a 2001 A Space Odyssey. And, and what he does is he just leaves the whole thing open to interpretation. And that drives everyone crazy. What am I supposed to think? What happened? Is this about God? Is this about the dangers of technology and artificial intelligence? And Stanley Kubrick said, whatever you think it is. <laughs> Thanks, man. What's interesting about all of this is that it, you know, this confusion, this openness to interpretation, it drives us insane. Nobody walks away from those movies confused and happy. They walk away confused and irritated. I just spent 15 bucks to make my brain hurt. What are we doing? How is that entertaining? And if we're honest, as we read the scriptures, Jesus probably got a very similar reaction, especially when he taught in parables. Uh, quick definition of parable. Webster's Dictionary says it's a, usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. And I've recommended the Bible Project before, and I was listening to a Bible Project episode about parables, and they picked this definition apart, and they're like, okay, when we think of Jesus' parables, does it meet this definition? Well, yeah, in many ways, they are short. They are fictitious stories that Jesus is telling. Uh, they do often contain moral attitudes and religious principles, but they said <laughs> the challenging part is they don't clearly illustrate much of anything. They're, they definitely illustrate something, but not very clearly. Parables, like the one we're studying today, were often confusing to Jesus' followers, almost on purpose, it seems. They don't make sense on their surface, and Jesus would, would take his disciples aside and give them more information in private so they could understand what he was saying, but everybody else was sitting around scratching their heads. Jesus was purposely being vague or confusing. It's a bit frustrating when you, when you do this because we want it to be simple. Jesus, can you just lay it out for me? Make this obvious. I guess remember that if you've ever watched The Office, raise your hand, anybody watch The Office? Okay, there's that scene where 
Oscar is trying to explain the budget to Michael Scott. And he starts explaining it, and Michael Scott goes, why don't you explain this to me like I'm an eight-year-old? And then Oscar split, explains the budget as simply as he can, and Michael Scott, frustrated and confused, goes, why don't you explain this to me like I'm five, right? That's what I want when I read the Bible. I want to be able to get, get this. I want it to be obvious. Why, Jesus? Why can't you just explain it to me like I'm five? So as we start this new series, uh, I want to just start with that, that understanding that there's a lot going on in these parables and they can be confusing. And so what do we do with the parables, these stories that Jesus tells? At first, I would say we approach them humbly. We're trying to decode a puzzle and, and we have to look at Jesus's life, his actions, his other teachings to see how these things fit together and how they start to come to life. And secondly, we we have to approach the Bible in general and, and parables like we do with Discovery Bible Study. We ask questions about the text. Question, the first question that's really helpful is, what does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about the divine plan? What is God up to? And then we can ask, what does this mean for me? We start by saying, what is Jesus saying about God himself, about the plan? And then we go, how then can I get swept up into this story? We recognize that Jesus is the main character of the Bible and of history and of these parables as well. Telling stories is very important in any religious culture. We connect with stories, and that's why Jesus does this. And parables are not unique to Jesus in his own time and culture. All of the rabbis told stories because they understood the power of storytelling, of connecting the dots. We unlock our imaginations when we engage in stories. Some people think of the Bible as this like holy rule book, right? But it's so much more than that. The parables help us to understand God's character, who he is. What does he care about? They help us understand ourselves. Who am I? What role do I play in all of this? And if I'm at point A and God's over here at point B, how do I get there? The stories found in the Bible, all of them, whether they be the histories, the parables, or or allegories, which are just longer versions of parables, essentially, they tap into our imagination so that we can understand and feel who God is and what he's doing. So with all of that, let's jump into our first parable of this series today. If you've got a, a paper Bible in your hands, uh, you can open up to Mark chapter 4 if you've got your phone and the, the words are on the screen as well. And we're going to look at Mark chapter 4. There's two parables back to back that he connects together. It says this. Jesus is teaching. He also said... This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them. And as much as they could understand... 
He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Okay, first let's start with those of you who are gardeners. Let's be clear, Jesus is using hyperbole. Mustard seed is not literally the smallest seed on the planet, and it doesn't grow into the biggest tree either, right? He, Jesus does this a lot when he teaches. He, he talks in extremes to help people understand the bigger moral picture at stake, right? Um, so if you're a gardener, Jesus wasn't bad at gardening. He was really good at telling stories. That's what he was doing, okay? But let's also start from the ending here. As I mentioned earlier, parables can be confusing, and he, he even was fine with that. You're confused. Cool. The disciples, let me, I'll explain to you guys later, right? They were trying to understand the best that they could. But I just want to take a quick little sidestep here to say this. I always wince a little bit when people say things like, you know, the Bible is clear. Yeah, except for when it's not. And when the Lord is purposely not being clear in his teaching and it's confusing. Then you add 2,000 years of cultural shifts and language translations And that leads me to ask, can we just please bring some humility to how we interpret the Bible? Can we bring grace to the conversation when we're talking with people who interpret the Bible differently than we do? And honestly, most people who who like to, to pound the table and say the Bible is clear, what they mean is the Bible is clear, and it just happens that it confirms all of my opinions, right? My interpretation of the Bible is the right one. That's really what they're trying to say. But the parables encourage us to stay curious. The journey of searching for the kingdom, the journey of being led by the Holy Spirit, it's ongoing. You never fully arrive. You never fully grasp it. And the only way you can catch it, even a little bit, is to stay curious. Keep praying and watching and asking, Holy Spirit, where are you at work here? And so that's where we start with this parable. There's three words that I want us to, to kind of have a little bit of understanding of what Jesus is describing in this parable. And the first one is the spirit. The spirit. I love this idea that a man, he scatters the seed everywhere and he has no idea how the seed's going to grow. He goes to bed and he's like, I don't know. It's going to happen. I don't know how it happens. He does his part, right? He plants the seed. But apart from him, all of these other things have to happen for this thing to turn into a crop that's ready for harvest. This is what we were talking about in our our short series on the Holy Spirit. So much of the Christian life is trusting the work of the Holy Spirit whom we cannot contain or control. Yes, we do our part. The man in this parable does his part. He scatters the seed. He has his role to play, but the work is completed by a power completely outside this man, right? So for us, our own spiritual maturity yeah, we've got to do some work, right? We carve out time to pray and to read and to be in community and other practices that help us invite the Holy Spirit's work into our lives. And yet, it's the Spirit who matures us in ways that we can't accomplish on our own. And this is true of community. The Spirit makes possible a community of people who once were enemies and are now brothers and sisters. They have no reason to be in a room together doing Bible study sharing communion, and yet here we are, right? It's what Paul says when he says, in God's kingdom, there is neither Jew versus Greek, slave versus free, male versus female. All are one in Jesus Christ. That's beautiful, but it's only possible by us inviting the Spirit 
to say we want unity more than we want to be right. We want unity more than we want to have control over one another, right? And it's true of mission. There are people who I knew before I was a Christian, uh, who I spent you know, some years apart from, and then met up with later in some circumstance, who were absolutely floored when they found out I was not only a Christian, but a pastor. They're like, you? <laughs> Ain't no way, what happened? Like that was, you know? And I've had people in my life too where like, you know, of course I say all things are possible. Nobody's too far out of God's grasp, but there are times where in my weakness, I wonder like, I don't see it. I don't know how, right? And yet I've seen so many people come to know Jesus and turn their lives around that I doubted it was even possible. I never thought it could really happen. And yet here we are. Yeah, no one can change someone else. I can't change anybody else, but the Holy Spirit can. And so we play our part, but the Spirit does the miraculous work. That's why we prayer walk. That's why we do blessed rhythms where we begin with prayer, right? Where we listen to people and we listen to the Holy Spirit and what, what he's doing in their lives. We eat meals with people to build true connection because community is built around a table. We, we, we serve and we let others serve us in real give and take community and real relationship. We share stories we listen to their stories and we share the stories of what God has done and is doing in our lives. We take these small steps of faithfulness and then we watch the Holy Spirit work. And so the question that I have for us is do we really believe Jesus at his word in this parable? That he will produce fruit. That he will make the impossible somehow possible. That he will make the difference when we believe that, then we play our part. We, we, we can share the privilege of seeing God's kingdom break through here and now through these small steps of faithfulness. So that's the first word, the spirit. The spirit is at work in and around us and we get to participate. The second word is the kingdom. If you were to say to any New Testament scholar, what is the thing that Jesus talked about most. It would be this phrase, the kingdom. For, you know, Matthew, so for Mark, Luke, and John, it's usually the kingdom of God. For Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus walked around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom everywhere he went. He talked about it nonstop. Most of the parables that we're going to study are him describing to us what the kingdom is. And in this parable, Jesus is pushing back on the ideas that people carried around with them about what kingdom of the kingdom of God is like, because they had a worldly shaped kingdom in their minds. And the people of Israel, you know, they were shaped by their context in the world around them. And, and in Jesus' time, they envisioned kingdoms similar to what the Roman Empire was. It's about power and dominance and force. And for them, it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll rule through power, dominance and force, but at least we're the good guys, Right. But if you read the narratives of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, long before Jesus ever came around, you can read about this in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. Here's what you find. Instead of the people of Israel seeing God as their king, they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted a powerful king. And in this foolish attempt at being like the other nations, they ceased to be the people of God. 
They ceased to be who he called them to be, and over and over again, it led to their downfall. That's the story of Israel over and over again, this roller coaster. So when Jesus is preaching his kingdom, he wants them to see that perhaps we've missed the point. For the kingdom of God is like this tiny mustard seed that becomes a large plant. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says it becomes a huge tree. He's saying, yes, this kingdom will spread and it will grow. It'll grow so much that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the gospel, he says it'll grow so much that everything will be under the rule of King Jesus. It's going to take over. But how does it spread? How does it take over? Through a tiny mustard seed. Not in the expected ways of earthly kingdoms of war and power and dominance, but in the little things and in the people we least expect. N.T. Wright said this about the parable of the mustard seed. The story is a warning against looking down on the small beginnings. In Jesus' Galilean ministry of the great work that God was to do, it can function as a warning too, against looking down on the small beginnings, a moment of vocation, two or three people meeting to pray and plan that often today herald the start of some great new initiative that God has in mind. It doesn't look impressive at the beginning. It looks small, maybe even weak, and yet it becomes something so much bigger. The kingdom of God comes through a king who, in the world's eyes, was born into a nothing town to a nothing family. To the point where the prophet Isaiah, when he talks about this king that's coming, he says there's going to be nothing about him that should draw your attention to him, at least by the world's standards. And then he picks a humble group of average dudes, hangs out with sinners. Some of his key leaders in his ministry are women in a world where they had no power. This is how God changed the world. This is what the kingdom looks like. It's the little things. It's the everyday faithfulness of life. It's in the sacrificial love for one another that we have. It doesn't look all that impressive until it keeps on spreading. In Luke's gospel, the parable of the mustard seed is connected to this parable of the yeast. A little bit of yeast is worked through in, into the dough, 60 pounds of flour, right? That's what it says, until it's worked its way through all of it. And it becomes this huge thing. This little tiny bit of yeast works its way through the, the dough until there's such a huge amount of bread that it's, it's too much for one person or even one family. It keeps spreading out into the lives of others. It keeps spreading. The kingdom does eventually take over the whole world, but not by the sword, but by the spirit and by the sacrificial love. One other important detail I want us to catch is, is the, some of the, the words that Jesus uses to describe the beginning, uh, uh, the kingdom. The, the mustard seed is going to provide more mustard than the one who planted it can use, more than that person's family can use. It's going to spill out. It's going to be shared with the community. The miracle of the mustard seed is that it creates enough to be shared to provide for more people than just the planter. Or the yeast that makes its way through the whole dough, it creates more bread than one person and family can eat. It must be shared with the community or it's just going to spoil. And then we also read that the kingdom provides safety, shade for the birds to perch on. And I think Jesus had in mind here when he said these words what the prophet Micah said. Everyone 
will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. How many people just heard Hamilton when I said that? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of you guys, okay. They quote that in Hamilton. Jesus wants us to see that the kingdom of God is smart. It starts small, but don't let that fool you. It is on the move and it will grow bigger than we can ever imagine. He wants us to see that the kingdom is, ex is an extended spiritual family where there's more than enough for everyone. The fruit of the mustard tree is to be shared with our extended family. The, the bread is to be shared with our extended family. He wants us to see that his kingdom is a place of no worry where we have it more than what we need, a place of peace and comfort where we can perch safely and in the shade. Amy Jill Levine in her book, she wrote a book about the parables of Jesus called Short Stories by Jesus. And she said this about the seed and the yeast in these parables. Finally, both images are of domestic concerns. The seed parable is about a garden or a local field. The yeast parable is set at a village oven. The kingdom of heaven is found in what today we might call our own backyard. In the generosity of nature and in the daily working of men and women. The lust for big time success is misplaced. The kingdom is present when humanity and nature work together and we do what we were put here to do, to go out on a limb to provide for others and ourselves as well. What a great description. Her words are so much at the heart of what God is calling for his church. Not to take over the world through political power or by force. Not to be the right ones who are always telling everybody what to do. But by tending to our own backyard. By, by saying, Holy Spirit, what are you doing here in Fremont, Union City, Newark, or wherever you drove in from today, or wherever you're tuning in online from? How might you be leading me? Holy Spirit, how might you be leading me to pray for, to care for, and to share my, your sacrificial love with those you've placed in my life? That's how the kingdom works, and that's how we start living in it here and now. Okay, one more thing that we need to inspect. We've talked spirit, we've talked kingdom, and now mustard seed. What is the mustard seed? That's what's so hard about these parables. It's like, what, when he gives these, these details and words, what is he trying to get us to understand? And we just, again, we have to do this humbly. Um, it's hard to be sure how to crack these riddles, right? But we have a little bit more information uh, than the original audience did because we have all four Gospels and we have the rest of the New Testament that give us a better idea of what Jesus was teaching and what he was working toward in his earthly ministry. Justo Gonzalez uh, writes in his commentary about Luke that these par uh, about these parables. He talks about the mustard seed and the yeast. And, and this, this, this parable comes right after Jesus does one of his most controversial miracles because he heals a woman on the Sabbath day. And Justo Gonzalez writes this. The one who is speaking about the mustard seed and the yeast, the one who is giving us this parable, has just shown us his mighty power in the episode in a synagogue. But he was born a poor and small mustard seed in a humble manger. And as a child, he had to go into exile in Egypt. And he is preparing to face the most formidable powers of evil. In that con confrontation, he will seem weak and insignificant like a mustard seed or a bit of yeast. 
Justo Gonzalez is saying Jesus is the mustard seed. He's about to go toe-to-toe with the Roman Empire and be crucified. But this is one of the things I love so much about Jesus. is his confidence and faith. He comes in vulnerability and even at times in weakness, and yet he never seems threatened. His victory over sin and death is so secure and sure that he's not threatened by rival kings and kingdoms, and so he feels no need to fight with their weapons. And he invites us to have that kind of faith too. That we are so secure with him as our Savior and Lord. That we believe his life, death, resurrection, and his current, current rule speak more about who we are and our place in this kingdom than anything else that can be said about us or done to us. That's our faith. As we walk in his footstep believing that his way is the way to the kingdom. That his way is the way to true life. One more time from Justo Gonzalez. He says this. The disciples are called to be the insignificant mustard seed and the unnoticed yeast that announces the coming kingdom. Like Jesus, the church is not called to proclaim its power, its influence, its political clout, or its prestige. The vindication of the church and of believers is best left to the absent master when he returns. Jesus, his ministry... And his death, these are the things that come, this, this humble way of mustard seed that slowly changes the whole world. The victory of, is his, and so we can lay down our weapons, we can let go of trying to control everything. And instead, we can, we can control the things that we actually control, these little steps of faithfulness, the caring for our own backyard, by looking for ways to sacrificially love others and extend the kingdom into their lives. That's what Jesus did. He sacrificially loves us. If you were to tell me before I believed in Christ, if you were to tell me that the most decisive act in history and the, pact, the, the path of victory for the king of the universe was to die on a cross, it would make no sense. Until I got to know who this king was, until I got to, to experience him for myself. It's his sacrificial love on that cross that is making me new. That is healing and reconciling me. And it's for you and it's for all of creation. So Jesus comes as this mustard seed. From humble beginnings to a worldwide movement that results in the, the kingdom of God that is eternal beautiful. It's a beautiful word picture. But it's an invitation for us. It's an invitation for us to be tiny little mustard seeds. Tiny little mustard seeds that we, we start small, we start humbly. We start by sacrificial love and we see what God can do. We can see the kingdom extended. I'm going to invite the, uh, the, the musicians back up on stage to, to lead us in worship some, a little bit. We're going to sing one song, and then we're going to share communion together. And then we'll sing another song and close our service. But this is exactly what we celebrate when we celebrate communion in just a little bit. The kingdom is a place where we, as the extended family Experience safety, security, where everyone has more than they need in the presence of God himself. 
It's eternal, yes, but it's breaking through here and now because our king surrendered his life on the cross. And in the process, he defeated the power of sin once and for all. And because our king rose again from the dead, the power of death is defeated once and for all so that we can be invited into his life, into his kingdom now and forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these words, as confusing as they might be at times. We thank you that you, you tell stories to help us imagine what seems impossible now, Lord, you can make possible by the power of your spirit. Jesus, your kingdom, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because in your kingdom, we have peace. We don't have to be afraid. We have your presence eternally. And God, you send us, you send us out as humble servants, as mustard seeds to spread that sacrificial love with all the people you've called us to. God, show us what that looks like. Show us day in and day out what it looks like. That people might find healing and reconciliation and new life. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see that, Lord. Continue to move by the power of your spirit this morning as we take communion, Lord. Remind us of your love for us. Let us never take it for granted. Instead, let's respond. Let us respond with our whole lives. We pray all of this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.